be focusing on Jesus, the hope for all people. This is the idea that Jesus is the good news, not just for salvation, not just for all eternity, but he's also the good news for right now. In our time of turmoil, in our time of discontent, in our time of worries and fears, he's good news. I mean, even thinking about wow, the, another fire coming and the, the destruction that comes, the inability to breathe, the, the falling of ashes in the sky and things like that, and, and the fear of, of just evacuating, this idea of, of not being able to, uh, to be in control of all these things and to have such a, a large force, this fire just continuing to move forward. It is a very frightening thing. We, of course, know that... Um, that you know, eventually you know, the weather's going to come in or the firefighters will get uh, control of it. But we really think about this and say that, that we realize that we're really at the mercy of things that are out of our control. And we, really, and we praise God that uh, Jesus really is the good news for all things. He's the good news for, for everyone, for those who are highborn, for those who are lowborn, for the orphan, for the single mom, uh, for the foster child, for foster parents, for those who are affected by disabilities, uh, for those who are oppressed and are sla enslaved. Jesus is good news because he takes away uh, the sin of the world. And this is what uh, we, we bring to the, to the world around us. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment for our sin, the, sin that, the punishment that we deserved, and he gave his life on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead to show that he has conquered death. And we know also that this is the gospel that we believe and that we want to share during this Christmas season. That if we confess our sin, that if we put our faith in Jesus, that if we choose to follow him and trust him, that we will no longer carry uh, the guilt of our past, no longer carry the shame of the things that we have done or, or the fear of hiding uh, the secrets. But God promises that, that those who accept Jesus Christ as Savior, that all of us, that we have a, a righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ, Christ that covers all of these things. And, and so we want to look at in these next just few weeks leading up to Christmas what the cross really means to us uh, as we follow him. And we want to look at Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. And shall we stand in reverence for the word of God? Let's stand together. And a leper came to him, Jesus, meaning Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved to pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, this passage actually is very early in, the, early in the, the life and ministry of Jesus. And he was traveling through this region of Galilee. And Mark gives kind of this rapid-fire picture of all these people and, and, and the things that Jesus did. And one of these interactions, which is really interesting, is this one found here in Mark chapter 1, this healing of a man 
who had leprosy. And from this encounter, we're going to see that Jesus is the hope of all people because he takes away the consequences of sin. You know, a lot of times we look at the word consequences, and we think of consequences in terms of, you know, cause and effect. You know, if you don't shape up, you'll suffer the consequences. Any of us who have children or have, who are children, uh, we know what that's like. We say, if you don't study hard enough, the consequences are you won't have a good job. Uh, if you fool around, the consequences are you might get pregnant. Uh, the, if you don't follow instructions or don't do a good job, the consequences will be you might get fired. And so those are this what we normally think of in terms of, you know, consequences of our actions. So when the Bible says that Jesus takes away the consequences of sin, um, are these the consequences that the Bible is speaking of? And I would say that the answer is no. Um, if you don't do a good job, and if you don't have a good job because you didn't work hard in school, just because we believe in Jesus does not mean God's going to automatically give us a great job. If we get pregnant out of wedlock and we trust in Jesus, that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to suddenly make us unpregnant. If you get fired for unethical behavior, Jesus, just because we believe in Jesus, does not mean that he's going to give you your job back. These are not the, 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 the consequences that the Bible is speaking of when Jesus says he will take away the consequences of sin. Now, we might look at this and say, well, but these are the things that I'm worried about. These are the things that I'm concerned about in my life. So if Jesus doesn't take away these problems, you know, what good is Jesus to me? Well, I would propose that Jesus will do more than these things. Jesus will do something better than even than, than, than just simply undoing the effects of our mistakes and bad choices. I would ask you to consider that there are greater, more fundamental consequences of sin. Things like rejection, hopelessness, fear, anxiety, helplessness. To truly overcome means to have hope for a future. It means to have the assurance of acceptance regardless of our mistakes. It means to have a peace that surpasses whatever turmoil that our actions have brought upon us. It means a, a lifting of, of a burden of guilt and shame and a, and a freedom, a freedom from, from what we may feel like is an unending cycle of sin. The, these are the consequences that the Bible speaks of. These are the consequences of sin, the, the root of our suffering and our struggles in life. And it is here where Jesus is the good news, the good news of God, that he takes away the consequences of sin. If you look at verse 40, it says, Then a leper came to him, Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now in ancient Israel, we've, I've covered this before. In ancient Israel, during the time of Jesus, leprosy is not just uh, what we consider like Hansen's disease. It can be all different types of skin problems. 
you know, if you have, honestly, like if you have ex eczema or something like that, that might even be considered leprosy. Uh, I would be in big trouble because when I was a child, I was covered with rash all over my skin. And that would have maybe at that time been considered a skin disease. And so this man, this leper, he um, not just suffered from physically having this disease, but there was also a sense of this uncleanliness of being excluded from society. He was not allowed to enter uh, into a city. He was not allowed to be around where people were. Uh, what would happen is, is if you had uh, something on your arm or something on your neck or something like that, you'd be brought to the priest and the priest actually would examine you according to their regulations of what they considered as skin disease. And if the priest looked at it and said, you have leprosy, it would be kind of like a divine decree that you were going to be excluded from society for the rest of your life. The law required that a leper had to actually wear things that would indicate that he was a leper. Lepers actually were free to walk around. They were not like in Ben-Hur, they were all in a leper camp. No, they actually were allowed to walk around, but they were not allowed to go into cities. Uh, they had to uh, distinguish themselves as lepers. So it actually says that they had to wear clothes that were ragged and torn. Uh, they couldn't wear nice clothes because you might mistake them for a, quote, normal person. They had to let their hair kind of hang all over the place. They couldn't make their hair nice because you might mistake them for a, quote, normal person, and you might bump into them, or you might shake their hand, or you might touch them on the shoulder, and you'd become contaminated. So they said, lepers, it don't matter if you have nice clothes or if you like to have your hair clean or if you like to look nice. You have to look like this so nobody accidentally bumps into you and becomes unclean. You have to actually live outside of a community wherever there's lots of people gathered around or living, you have to live away from that area. According to rabbinic tradition, a leper, just by coming into a room, he doesn't even have to touch it. He just walk into a room. The minute he walks into a room like this, everything in the room is contaminated. Every chair, piano, everything is contaminated by his uncleanliness. Even if he just walked into the room and left out, they would say, oh, the whole room is contaminated by his uncleanliness. And if we sat down on a chair, if an hour later we sat down on a chair in a room where a leper had walked in, they would say, oh, you're unclean. You have to go to the priest and, and go through the, the, the ritual cleansing. And so we would have to, uh, you know, if we were living in biblical times and a leper walked in and walked out, we'd have to go and sanitize every single chair, sanitize every single element in this room because the priest would say, wow, you know, because a leper had walked in, he had contaminated the whole room. And so you can imagine how um, that person feels wherever he goes. I don't want to go into a room because it's going to cause everybody so much trouble. The whole town's going to be mad at me because they had to clean everything. Because they couldn't come into the room because I happened to walk into that room. If I need a drink, I'm not going to go inside any building to get a drink. I'm not going to go to the well and get some water because then everybody's going to be mad because I touched the, the well. And now they can't use it until a priest comes and, and cleanses it. And so basically, this idea was, was that, that a leper, they literally called them the walking dead. They brought death wherever they went. And to make things worse, uh, leprosy back then, they thought leprosy was a result of sin. 
and, and because they misunderstood God's word. And so they thought, oh, you know, if a guy has leprosy, if a lady has leprosy, that's because they sinned and they deserve this. And so you can imagine they would have very little uh, compassion. They didn't have leprosy ministries because lepers were, were sinners. They deserved this, you know, this isolation and this suffering. And leprosy was considered incurable. There's only two times in the Old Testament where God is, there's record of God cleansing a leper. And there are three times where there's record of God raising the dead. So you have a better chance of being raised from the dead than you do being healed of leprosy. That, that's how serious your, your illness was. And so though leprosy is no, in no way caused by our sin, leprosy was a, a, a graphic illustration of the consequences of sin. It, it, it affects every area of their lives. It, it literally destroys their body, slowly disfiguring them from what they originally, they were originally a beautiful, wonderful, you know, young man or young woman dressed so nicely, but this disease slowly destroys the way that they look, uh, destroys how they were created. It isolates. It, it brings a sense of, of shame and, and guilt. It brings a, a burden on our lives. It, it hurts those that we love, meaning that they couldn't do anything because it affected everyone around them. And this is, again, when we have so much sin in our lives, it affects everyone around us. It affects those that we love. And finally, uh, it's incurable. That sin is, is no one can, can take away sin. No doctor can heal the, the, the consequences of sin. Uh, no priest actually could declare a person could say, I'll make you uh, clean of leprosy. He could only, the priest could only say, either you have it or you don't. If you have it, nothing I can do for you anymore. And you might as well, you know, you don't go to a doctor when you have leprosy. You're just like, you know, this is it. This is it. And so to suffer, when we think about, um, when we think about sin and the consequences of sin on our lives before Jesus, whether it's something as simple as, you know, letting down a friend or lying to somebody or, 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 or as bad as, as really injuring someone or, or getting pregnant or, or something like that. These consequences, uh, the consequences of these actions are, are they bring shame. They bring guilt. They bring isolation. They, 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 they bring burdens on our lives. We feel like they're incurable, that there's nothing we can do to change something that we have done in the past. And that's where the, the, the real suffering and anguish and consequences of sin really lies in these things. And, and, and that's why Jesus is the good news, because he takes away the consequences of sin. That's what the good news of Jesus Christ is. You look at verse 40, uh, it's really interesting because instead of, of keeping a distance from Jesus, the leper actually comes directly to Jesus because lepers actually, they were supposed to stand at least a hundred feet away from any person. And they actually had to, wherever they went, they had to yell, leper coming in, you're a leper in the place or whatever. They had to yell that a leper was coming so that everybody could run out, run, you know, away and he could walk into the area. They make sure they just kept 
their distance. I mean, that was by law he had to do that. And so here he comes to Jesus and he falls down on his knees and he says, if you will, you know, you can make me clean. Now, this actually tells us a lot about the leper in terms of what he does here in just this one statement. First of all, it tells us that he believes in the uniqueness of Jesus. Because anyone else in this world, if he even tried to approach that person, that person would back off right away. If he tried to come and talk to somebody, that person would reject him. Anybody, even the most religious people in the world, even his own family would say, what are you doing? Don't come near me. Don't you realize you can contaminate me and ruin my life? And so this leper had lived all his life like that. But yet he sees Jesus and says, here is a man that's, that's unique, that I can come at his feet and speak to him. The second thing we see from this is that he believes in the power of Jesus. Because the statement is, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Basically, he is asking Jesus to do something that no one else can do except God. Okay? There's no one else in society. What's, it's not even, you're a great teacher, you're a good healer, uh, you're a good person, I think you can figure this out. No, he's saying... No one in this world, no one in history can heal me. But Jesus, I come to you and I believe you can make me clean. You can do the one thing that no one else can ever do. And finally, he took a humble posture because he says, he says if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, that's a little phrase in there, if you're willing. Now, that's a really interesting because usually you would think that he would come up and say, Jesus, please heal me. But when he says, if you are willing, what he's saying is not a demand, Jesus, heal me. What he's saying is, Jesus, I believe you have the power. Okay, I know you can heal me, but it's only if you are willing, if you have mercy. Because remember, he believes that I don't deserve to be healed that I'm this way because I've sinned and I've done terrible things and that's why I'm suffering. So you are a man of God, you are God, and I know that, that, that I do not deserve healing. But Jesus, if you're willing, if you have mercy, um, I know you can heal me. That's what he was saying to Jesus. It's very powerful. So, you know, as we think about Christmas and we think about the new good news of Jesus, you know, one of the things we think about is to praise him for the things that only Jesus can do. I mean, if you really think about it, the things that only Jesus can do. We, we think very highly of ourselves. Oh, we could do this. I could take care of that. Oh, you know, I know where to get this. You know, we got the internet. We got this. I got everything at my fingertips. I know exactly what to do. But there's only certain things that only Jesus can do. And we will praise God for that when we think about Christmas, that Christmas was a time when Jesus came, did the things that only he can do. He's the only one that can change hearts. We can't change hearts. I mean, you really think about it, no matter how much you know, your parent, you try to change their heart, can't change heart. When you get into an argument, he's the only one that can restore a broken relationship when the other person is unwilling to forgive. You ever been in an argument or a broken relationship where you try to resolve it and they do not, uh, they will not 
forgive you, can't do anything, right? I mean, no matter how hard, no matter how much you beg them, no matter how much you explain to them, no matter how much you, 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 you ask them to forgive you, if they don't want to forgive you, there's nothing you can do. Jesus is the only one who can restore a relationship uh, when another person is unwilling to forgive. He is the, Jesus is the only one who can take my mistakes and make something beautiful out of them. Praise God. Jesus is the only one who can change my weeping into joy. Jesus is the only one who can make sense out of my loss and my suffering. Jesus is the only one who can take my weaknesses and still use them for God. Jesus is the only one who can truly give me a purpose beyond life. Jesus is the only one who can overcome all the impossibilities of my life when no one else can help me, when there's nothing I can do. Jesus is the only one. We praise Jesus for that. We thank God for that. Jesus is the only one who can promise me a hope when I can't see it. Jesus is the only one who can enable me, enable me to rejoice in my suffering. Jesus is the only one who can guarantee that whatever is happening right now, it's working for the good. God's greater purpose. Jesus is the only one that can promise me, promise us that whatever we do in the future, we will always be loved of God. We will always be forgiven. We will always be accepted with joy in heaven. Only Jesus can do these things. No one can do it. We cannot do it. This is the good news of Jesus, that he takes away the consequences of sin. The next thing we want to look at is, is Jesus' response to, to, the, um, to the leper because Jesus actually, he expresses God's heart in everything. And again, as we think about Christmas, uh, Jesus is the perfect example about God. He is God in the flesh. He, he reveals God to us. He is the perfect revelation of God. And so the things that he does... Uh, remind us and tell us about God. So in verse 41, it says, He was moved to pity. He stretched out his hand and touched the leper and said to him, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now, for those of you who are Bible scholars here, um, this sentence, this one phrase, moved to pity, is what we call a textual variant, okay? What that means, I know it sounds complicated, but it's very simple. What that means is this is a very, very rare instance in the Bible where the ancient texts have different translations of this particular verse. See, what happens is, is we don't have the original text, we don't have the original letter that Mark wrote, right? That's gone. The, the original, the very original letter that Mark wrote is gone. We don't have it. What we have are these copies. People would copy his letter. A whole bunch of people would copy his letter, and they would distribute the copies to all the different Christians living around the world. And so the way that we figure out what Mark wrote is we compare, like we take a, a horizontal swath of all of these copies at a certain time period, and we compare them and make sure that they're all exactly the same. And so if 90 of them say this and 10 of them say this, we know that this is most likely what Mark's meaning was. If, you know, one has a different word and the other rest have 
the same word, we know this is Mark's writing. Now, in this verse, the, the difference is actually equal. <laughs> there's two different ways of translating it, and they're both kind of equal. So there's no way of really determining which one, which word did Mark actually write. Now, what is the difference? Uh, the difference is that in one text, in one line of copies, it says Jesus was moved to compassion. And in another text, the other copies, it says Jesus was moved to anger. So those two different things. It's interesting because the, uh, the uh, ESV translates it pity, but they, they don't take it either way. Um, but there is a way to explain this, actually. There's a way to come to an agreement about what this is. Actually, most people believe that it actually is moved to anger is, is the correct translation. But I believe that you can actually put the two together. Now, don't worry. Uh, when I bring this up, some people get worried, like, oh, my gosh, we can't trust the Bible anymore. It's got so many mistakes. It doesn't have any mistakes. We have thousands of copies, thousands of different copies of the Bible distributed through many different areas. And these are like direct copies. This is not like NIV, you know, that type of stuff. This is like the actual Greek and Hebrew texts, okay, that were copied and written from the original. We have thousands of those copies distributed all over the world from all these different places, and 99.9% .9 of those copies are actually identical. Meaning they, people knew how to copy you know, God's word very, very well. They're very precise in how they copied down God's word. There's only a like 0.01% where there might be some variance. And usually it's just a variance like, there's an extra uh, or there's an extra the, or there is an extra vowel written there, and, or it's very obvious that this writer, this copier was falling asleep and whatever, and he just kind of wrote something weird, or not weird, but wrote something a little bit different there, and it was real obvious, you know. So like most, in, even in, in all those cases, or even in that little amount of cases of, of textual variances, usually inconsequential, inconsequential, yes. And, but this is one of those where it does kind of make a little bit of a difference because we talk about compassion and anger. There's two different types of emotion. But I, I really believe as I was reading through this and studying it that it's actually a bit of both because, yes, he is angry. He is, there's a sense which he is stirred because he does kind of, you know, talk to the, to the guy and say, you know, go immediately. And so there's a sense of urgency. There is a sense of agitation. But there's also a sense of compassion in, in this verse, too, because um, he reaches out to the person and he treats him with great compassion and love. So I believe that there's something here of a, a mix of both, anger and compassion. Now, how can you have a mix of both anger and compassion? You either care about them or you, you're angry at them. What is it? Well, I believe, you know, why would Jesus be angry? I believe that, that Jesus, when he sees a person who is suffering from the consequences of sin, that makes him angry. 
when, when, when we see that the sin in this world is the ultimate cause of struggle and suffering and sickness and death and exclusion and oppression and hatred and murder, and we were just, uh, uh, Samantha was just talking about you know, human trafficking, how, how can anybody you know, even think of treating a human being like that? That's because of sin. And when Jesus sees this person uh, uh, suffering from the consequences of sin, his heart is not just, oh, I feel so sorry for you. His heart is enraged that this is what sin has done to mankind, that this poor individual, he's not only suffering physically, uh, but he, 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 he's been told that it's his fault. He's been rejected by his brothers and sisters. Uh, he's been considered dead by the leadership of his country. They're not offering him any help. They're not offering any hope at all. And, and Jesus looks at this and he says, this is what sin has done, not just to this man, but, but to a world of people. Without Jesus, without God's love, that's the consequences of sin in this world. And Jesus is angry. He's passionate about what sin has done, just even in this one person. And, and Jesus' anger is also coupled with compassion because in verse 42, it says something remarkable here. It says that, that, that he, he, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. Now, remember, again, no one would, would even approach a leper from 100 feet. No one would even go into a room that a leper, if a leper was in it last Tuesday, they still may not go into the room. Well, I might not be safe. You know, I don't know. It's been a week, but I don't really want to go in that room because there was a leper in there. So that's kind of how they felt. And yet Jesus, moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him and says, I'm willing, you're clean. Now, I mean, Jesus didn't have to do this because we know Jesus has so many different ways of healing people, right? One time uh, the mission speaker says, well, he spit on the ground or spit on the guy's eyes. Um, in this case of the centurion, this is another case of healing. He simply said, your servant is healed. And the servant was probably living miles away. And it says, immediately when Jesus said those words, at that very moment, he was healed. And what, so this is saying that, that, that Jesus doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to cross these boundaries to heal this person. He could have just said, you're healed. But Jesus represents God's heart, right? Jesus will touch the untouchable. This man who had not felt the touch of a human hand probably for years, maybe decades, is healed by the touch of God. God, we think about it, God didn't have to come to earth to save us, right? He didn't have to. But he gave his son in the form of flesh. His son suffered just like we did. His son suffered, knows what it feels like to be left alone, to be rejected, to be ridiculed, to be spit on. Can you imagine... God, God of the universe being spit on by people. That's how much God loves us, loves me, loves you. To, to, to come to earth in that way, to be treated in that way, to, to die on the cross. And while he's dying on the cross, I mean, even... Even when someone you don't like is suffering, you, you usually feel like something in your heart, like, oh, man, that's really, I 
you know, I don't like them, but man, I wish they wouldn't suffer like that. But these people, they look at Jesus while he's suffering, and they're like making fun of him. They're laughing at him. This is God. He's the one who created them. He's the one who gives them every breath that they breathe. And he was willing to endure that to save you and to save me. That's Jesus. That's what Christmas means. And the leper asked him, Jesus, are you willing? And Jesus didn't even have to say, I'm willing. Uh, Jesus, I mean, he says, are you willing to be merciful to a man who, ha- who in no way deserves your grace or forgiveness, doesn't even deserve to approach you? Uh, are you willing? And Jesus says, yes, I'm willing. Uh, my, my mercy, God's mercy knows no bounds. I am willing to touch you. I am willing to heal you. I am willing to do whatever it takes to take away the consequences of sin. I mean, that's really, you think about it. God say, God, are you willing to do this? Is God really willing to do this for me? If God is willing to give his son and do these things, we got to feel like God is willing to do anything, anything to take away the consequences of our sins, to wash us clean when we approach him in humility. And so as we think about Christmas, again, this question we want to ask, you know, in what way is, is God asking me to be Jesus to someone right now who is suffering from the consequences of sin? And this is a really powerful, important question. We're the body of Christ. We come to touch the untouchable, to embrace uh, with love, with the love of God. And we ask, what way, in what ways are we moved to anger because of what sin has done to the people around us, to those who we love, even to those that we don't know? And what will we do as representatives of Jesus Christ? Who are those in my life right now who are struggling with a burden of guilt and shame? Maybe at work, People make fun of them or ridicule them because they they don't do something right or whatever. And and the whole office, whenever they walk around, everybody just looks down on them. And and they they walk around. Every time they think of in the morning, I got to go and just feel this guilt and shame for the next 10 hours. And then come home and, and go back the next day and feel this guilt and shame again. This rejection. Okay, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we go to work with this person. What is Jesus asking me to do in this situation? What about those who feel burdened down from, from the sin in this world? I mean, people talking about, oh, another thing happened. Oh, another terrorist attack, another this, and I just feel so mad, and I feel like so frustrated, and I feel so helpless, and, I, and when I hear about this and that, and I get so upset, and, and I'm frustrated, and I, I'm angry, and, and I want to do something, and it's just driving me crazy. It's, it's making me lose sleep, and, and again, this is the consequences of sin. When you're around a person like that, if that's your friend, or if that's somebody that you know, and things like that, how is God calling you to, 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 to talk to them, 
to be a part of Jesus, lifting the, the consequences of sin from their lives through, through salvation. See, Christmas is a time when a lot of people tend to feel the full force of the consequences of their sin. For some reason, Christmas, that's, that's what happens. People feel more depressed during Christmas time. People sometimes feel more guilty during Christmas time. Uh, uh, they just feel more melancholy. These are the times when they really feel, in a sense, the consequences of sin. I don't have to work anymore. I, you know, distracted by all these things. I got to sit down at home by myself and think about stuff. And suddenly I think about my life and, you know, my life is not that good. And I'm not that happy. And I don't really like work and I don't really like school and I don't really like this and that. And people start thinking, you know, man... I'm thinking about life. That's what happens when Christmas comes around. And what they're really thinking about is what? Is the consequences of sin, right? So when we bring this hope of Jesus Christ to say, Jesus takes away the consequences of sin. That's what we're telling them. That's the good news. That there's hope. That there is a purpose. The last thing we want to look at is our response. Uh, what is our response to the good news of Jesus? And there's two different situations. Jesus sternly charged the man. Now, this is the part that people don't usually understand. Like, like why did Jesus do this? It says, Jesus sternly um, charged him and said to him, uh, you know, sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests. Offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a proof for them. So sternly charged means like prompt obedience. Jesus says, Make sure you do this right away. Go to the priest. And he says, Show yourself to the priest. And he says, As a testimony to them. The them is the priests. Okay? Be a testimony to the priests. What is the testimony? Basically, the priest is the one who legally declares someone um, uh, who is unclean. Right? Once, if you go to the priest and he declares you unclean, he says, okay, you son of, son of, son of, are unclean. We're going to put your book in the record. We're going to put your name in our books so that if we ever see you walking around in the temple, we're going to kick you out right away. So, so their names are written down. They've been examined. It's all legal. So if, if this leper comes in and is examined by the priest and the priest goes hey he's clean they have to go back to the records and write down this guy's clean and it's a legal record it's a legal document he was examined by the person who's who is officially supposed to examine him and who can officially declare someone clean and so jesus is saying that you go there let the priest examine you let the priest say you're clean and have to write it down on the records as a testimony to those priests because later on they're going to reject me. They're going to say Jesus is, is not the Son of God. Jesus is a charlatan. Jesus is an a, a, a agent of Satan. And he says, when they say that, it's going to be written in the record that they themselves saw that Jesus healed this man of leprosy, did this one thing that only God can do. And so he's saying it as a testimony to the priests that if they reject him, then they have no excuse because there's legal evidence, in a sense, that he is God. And so Jesus is giving us a chance right now. If we have never received Jesus Christ as Savior, God is saying uh, the choice 
is whether we accept Jesus or reject him. That the evidence is clear that there's no excuse that, that we really, if we have not received Jesus Christ as Savior, that God is saying that the proof is before you. Jesus Christ is the proof that, that, that God is real, that salvation is real, and put your faith in Jesus as Savior. The second thing that we see from this is that um, it says, but he went and, and began to talk freely about it. Now, this is the thing. The guy didn't do what Jesus said, right? He ran off and, and you know, I, I kind of like, identify with him. It's like, if you got healed from leprosy, would you want to go stand in line and wait for the priest to look at you and go, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, it's fine, you know. You'd be like, oh, I don't care what the priest says. I'm clean. I'd be running around telling everybody, like, I'm clean. I don't care what the priest says. I'll just do anything. But you look at this and you realize that, that um, because the, the, the leper didn't do that, that Jesus now, he can't walk around the city anymore. He can't walk around the town. Uh, the people were coming to him all over the place. So, number one, it, the legal record was never recorded. Right? That was part of Jesus' will, that it was recorded. And number two, the people now are approaching him, not because he's the son of God, but they're just like, he's a miracle worker, and he can no longer come around and, and do his ministry like he wants to do in Galilee. And later on, he does actually have to leave and move on. And so we think about this, and, you know, for the, the man now, he didn't lose his cleansing. He didn't run around going, oh, praise God, you know, and forget to thank God, and all of a sudden go, oh, came back, you know. No, it's not like that. Jesus says obedience is not like a requirement to keep salvation. But, but Jesus is saying that we need to obey God's word. Because as, as, as Christians, you know, we can be really excited about God and really happy about God and say, oh, I don't care about you know, what God's word said. I don't care. I'm just going to go do this because I love Jesus. I love Jesus. God, God doesn't mind you know, because I just love Jesus. You know? But Jesus, that's, what, that's exactly what this uh, person did. I just love Jesus. I'm not going to listen to what he said or what he asked me to do, what he said very sternly I was supposed to do. I just love Jesus. I'm going to tell everybody you know, I'm healed. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, God must like that better. You know? But no, what happened? It actually disrupted Jesus' plans. See, that's the thing that's, that's kind of sobering here, that God does ask us to obey, to honor his word. And yeah, he doesn't mind, he doesn't want us to not celebrate in him, but when we celebrate and ignore the things that God has told us and commanded us, we can actually be hindering the things that God really wants to do. And so, so, so God's kingdom doesn't come forward just by people who are so excited and, and thrilled about Jesus and say, I'll do anything for Jesus and I'll, I'll go anywhere and I, I don't care what, you know, you know, and I don't know God's word, but who cares, you know, because I love Jesus. That's not the type of people that, that move forward the kingdom of God. The people that move forward the kingdom of God in history are those who are indeed sold out for God. They love God with all, they'll give up their lives for God, but they're also deeply committed to the word of God. They would fight for the word of God. They would die for the word of God in obedience to his word as well. And so this is the type of people that God is calling us to be as we think about the fact that indeed he takes away the consequences of our sin. We praise God. We proclaim these truths. But we also, again, this Christmas time say, God, I want to make sure that uh, I'm a part of what you are doing in this place at this time and not a hindrance to it.
And so I want to recommit and, and, and really know your word and obey your word. And when you ask me to do something right away, do it right away. Don't just say, oh, it's not that important. These are the things that, 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 that Jesus is saying as we think about uh, Christmas. What he has done for us in taking away the consequences of sin. So let's go ahead and let's just spend some time in prayer right now as we think about and we sing these songs.